There's a scene near the end of Prince Caspian, one of the Chronicles of Narnia, where the newly crowned king learns from Aslan, the great Christ figure in the series, that his ancestors were actually pirates and plunderers, drunkards, even rapists and killers. And he says humbly, I was wishing that I came of a more honorable lineage. And Aslan's reply, you come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve, and that is both honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Be content. This morning we begin a series looking at key figures of the Bible, and so of course we begin in Genesis with our first parents, Adam and Eve. Though we do not live in, Ar in Narnia, we too are sons of Adam, daughters of Eve, and in moments of honesty and insight, we know that Aslan is right. We teeter between glimpses of glory of what it means to be made in the image of God himself. Some act of kindness or sacrifice will bring us to tears. We catch our breath at some moment of grace. And then we tilt to shame as we see on the news or in history some grievous great sin that horrifies us all. More often we look in the mirror and see a petty cruelty, a meanness or sloth in our own lives or our families and that also takes us by surprise because we had so hoped that we would not be capable of such a thing. We wish we came of a more honorable lineage. But let's begin with the good news, the honor of our royal heritage, and the story of the creation of Adam and Eve. We'll read parts of the Genesis story, first from chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And then chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will die, surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. 
The man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. This is truly paradise. Adam and Eve are in right relationship with the rest of creation, where they have responsibility to husband and care for what God has created, and they are placed in a garden prepared for them. They are to rule the animals and the trees, and the garden will nourish and sustain them. The relationship will be to their mutual benefit, because the garden is more than a resource. It is a responsibility that Adam and Eve take joy in and that will give God pleasure. Remember the words of the 24 elders in Revelation chapter four, thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are created. Adam and Eve are to safeguard God's pleasure in creation and to share in it. Adam and Eve are also made in the very image of God, male and female, and that relationship is not one of conflict, but of completeness. Finally, there is an intimacy and ease in their relationship to their creator, and God declares it to be good. Yes, very good. What are some of these things, what are some of the things we learn from this time of our innocence? We learn what it means to be fully human because this, is, this describes what we were meant to be before sin entered our world. First, to be human is to be both physical and spiritual being. One is not more essential than the other. Man is made out of the same matter as the dust of the earth, yet also in the image of God and animated by the breath of God his divine life. Our own physicality and the world of beauty around us, of ideas, of the created world are good and they are right for us to pursue. The material world and the order inherent within it reflects God who has made something of nothing and brought order out of chaos. The world because of this order is knowable the material world and the pleasures and projects in it are good pursuits when kept in their place. It is right to enjoy his good gifts of creation. That is not where our shame lies. We reject a Gnostic view of the physical world that says matter is evil. And we also reject an excessively Puritan view of our bodies that shame them for evil or sin. We remember that we are also spiritual beings who were meant to live in fellowship with God. The divine breath of God animates us, and to be fully human is to breathe in that life from the source of life himself. And just as we cannot hold our breath, our physical breath, and live, we cannot hold this breath either. God breathes this in, and then we are meant to breathe it out again in love and service to those around us. This is not meant as a one-time blast of spiritual life. We are meant for ongoing, life-giving, 
communion with God. And so we also reject the error that would say that only the body or the material world matter. We reject the error that what we do with our bodies has no effect on our spirit. God, Genesis reminds us that both body and soul are essential and intertwined. We are not just souls inhabiting bodies for a time on earth until we get to our real life in heaven. I was at a funeral this week, and I looked at the open casket at the body of a, of a dear woman And though I trust that her spirit is now with the Lord, at the graveside we heard words of promise from Scripture that one day she will live in a new body on her resurrection day. This is our hope and God's intention from the beginning. Second, God intended for humans to flourish. Look at how Eden is described. Eden is beautiful. It is pleasing to the eye. Eden is fruitful. It is good for food and well-watered. And there's something else that's interesting. Eden is a place of work. He took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Work is not something that only came after the fall. God gives this to Adam and Eve, not as punishment, but as purpose. And that's certainly true, isn't it? That's a gift. Purpose is a gift. A week or so of vacation is great. Maybe a month. (laughs) But but good work, meaningful work, is life-giving. Even we retired people know this. One One of John's deepest prayers these last few years is from Psalm 71. Even when I am old and gray, Do not forsake me, O Lord, till I declare your power to the next generation. To be human is to long for meaningful and fruitful work all the days of our lives. And that's what Adam and Eve had. Third, the crown of that freedom and flourishing is the creation and blessing of the relationship between male and female of the deep mysteries of human sexuality that the story of the creation of the woman from the man tells us, I can frankly only guess. In Genesis 2, the undivided human, before Eve is taken from Adam's body, the undivided human has a restlessness within and is alone. And this is the first thing that God has said is not good. Our story of human creation is not complete if we are only talking about man as a unity. That seems to be enough in the description of the beasts and the birds in the creation story. But for humanity, scripture insists in both Genesis 1 and 2 that the full description of what it means to be human must specifically declare that this encompasses the duality of both male and female. Further, to speak of what it means to be made in the image of God is to be careful to ensure that both men and women have their honored place in the story. Different, distinct, certainly not interchangeable, but each essential. And an almost ironic twist in this story is that no sooner has God separated the man and woman and made this distinction, but then he reunites them 
as one flesh in marriage. There is a kind of dance here. They are individual and distinct, yet intended to complement and complete each other after all. Though this is to be true in marriage and, and sexual physical union, the dance of innocent sexuality applies to all of us, no matter our status, single, married, or alone after marriage. After marriage. To be human is to be part of that dance and to take joy in that. And finally, the garden is not just a place for human flourishing and purpose, but the garden is also the place of encounter with God himself, the Lord God, our creator himself. The garden is where Adam and Eve walk in the cool of the evening with God. All of the relationships are whole and healthy. This is paradise. This is what it means to be fully human. This is the honor that Aslan spoke of. And now, the great unraveling begins. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. And so we come in chapter 3 to what we call the fall of man. Adam and Eve had glorious freedom in the garden, save for one command. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. There is one forbidden thing. But notice, it is, it is not an arbitrary ban, but a boundary. The commandment was there to keep them safe. God was not keeping them from anything good. They are literally in paradise. He keeps them from the one thing that will put that at risk. Why the tree of knowledge of good and evil as the boundary? What at root is their sin? They have taken for themselves the right that is God's alone to declare what is good for their lives. Where we sin is when we declare our autonomy, that we do not need God, that we would do not trust God. We will judge for ourselves what is good and right for us. We have our truth, as the saying goes. So Eve is tempted. She doubts God and believes the lie and takes the fruit. And Adam, right there with her throughout it all, is silent until he too takes what is forbidden. The phrase, the scriptures say, she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. They are in this together, and they share the shame. And in their shame, they have lost what they had. Instead of enjoying the freedom of the garden and the liberty of being able to walk among anywhere within that, now they are hiding in the garden. They are naked, vulnerable, and deeply and uncomfortably self-conscious. When they had the freedom and the fellowship with the Lord God, their eyes were turned outwards. They did not look within themselves as a source of goodness. They looked instead towards God. They had that carefree sense that we know from time to time when we are just so outward focused, so taking joy in what is around us that we aren't thinking of ourselves. Those are our best moments. But we also know, as they knew then, what it is to be so self-conscious that all we can see is our own self. We feel exposed in those moments and want to hide. That, that kind of self-consciousness is really the opposite of freedom, isn't it? Up until now, before Genesis 3, the creation story was a kind of crescendo of, of the building goodness, goodness upon goodness. 
the creation of the world, which is good, the creation of man, which is very good, the creation of beautiful relationships in the image of God himself. Genesis 3 is the cascade downward. They walked with God, now they hide from him. The human relationship was to be one of mutual help. Now it's just accusation and excuses. The mutual life-giving relationship with the earth is disrupted. It was before it was work with purpose. Now it's full of thorns. And this time, work is described as toil. Finally, they are expelled from the garden that was their home and their freedom. Each relationship they had, each generous gift of God, while not destroyed, is now corrupted. Their eyes are open and they see that they have chosen death. What does this story of our glorious creation and shameful fall from grace and goodness tell us? The doctrine of original sin means that all we do, even in our best moments, is tainted. Bad motives, our insincerity, our, our, our desire to look good, our propensity to want to be the ultimate judge of what is good for our lives, to trade the freedom and fullness God intends for us to, to insist on our own way, to demand our right in open rebellion, or more often, for me, feels like it's out of sloth or inertia to be willing to coast to disobedience because it just feels easier. And yet, to be made in the image of God means that even in our worst moments, we somehow reflect the spark of the value and worth that God intended for man and woman. For God has not abandoned us, and he will not be thwarted in his intention for us. We were meant to walk with him in the cool of a garden perfectly prepared for us. In Adam and Eve, there was rebellion and disobedience, a disastrous choice to distrust God's clear and true statement for what was right in their own eyes. Eve sees that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. How easily we come up with a rationale for our wrong choices. And also how our enemy deceives us through half-truths for, of course, Eden was good, for food was pleasing to the eye. But that was only half the story. Yet with that sin and the curse resulting from that sin, God gave from the beginning the great hope and glimmer of a promise that he would not abandon us, that he would make a way to restore that fellowship, that he would walk with us once again. Consider another woman in the Bible who had a choice. Unlike Eve, she is not the queen of a garden in paradise, but an ordinary young woman. Yet also unlike Eve, when faced with this choice, Mary chose to trust God, not to doubt him. And in her perfect obedience, the great undoing of the sentence of death entered into history as she said yes to incarnation, yes to Christ. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. For so in Adam all die, so in Christ 
all will be made alive. God himself would again walk with us, not just in the symbolic language of walking with us in the cool of Eden, but in literal flesh, and he would walk all the way to the cross for love of us and to restore the wholeness he intended for us from the beginning. Finally, even as Adam and Eve were expelled from Eden, God is preparing for us a new home. The first chapters of scripture are echoed in the final one, Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. From first to last, God has loved us into being, and through our sin, into our redemption. He is with us always. He will not give up on us or see his work thwarted. We are sons of Adam, daughters of Eve, children of God. Be content.